Our reading this morning is from Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 23. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. When Peter came down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. This is the word of the Lord. I'm looking forward to the day when I have grandchildren. Um, my kids are not even close to that so far as they tell me, and that's okay. But eventually I want some grandchildren. One of the reasons I want some grandchildren is I can't wait for this line from one of my grandchildren. Grandpa, tell us a story. Because i got a lot of great stories to tell. <laughs> I'm going to tell stories that are going to make my son and daughter squirm. I'm going to tell stories. Well, I could go on. I've got a lot of stories to tell, and I'm looking forward to it. But you know, I wonder what it would have been like to be the Apostle Peter's grandchild. Those little kids might have said, Grandpa, tell us a story. And he might have said, well, let me tell you about the time where we were on this hillside. And all we had was five loaves and two fish. And Jesus multiplied them to 5,000 people. Or he might have said, let me tell you a story about a time where me and the other disciples were in a boat fishing and Jesus was asleep in the boat, sound asleep in the middle of the storm. We were terrified and we shook him awake and we said, are you concerned about us? And he looked at us as calm as can be and said, what's the problem? Don't you have any faith? And then with the word... He calmed the storm. Or maybe he would tell them about another day. A day like that where the sea was just out of control and they looked up and they saw someone walking on the water. And we realized, kids, it was Jesus. And so, you know, kids, I'm always the one who just says what I think. Maybe his daughter was like that. I don't know. I just say what I think, says Peter to his grandchildren. And so I just shouted out, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And, 
and I walked on the water. And they would say, Grandpa, what was that like? And Peter probably said, well, the first first few steps were great. But after that, (laughs) after that, I lost it and I started to sink. And Jesus rescued me. Or maybe he would have told him this story. And if he had, it probably would have started this way. I was taking a nap on the top of the roof of a house of a friend. And while I was asleep, God showed up in a dream. They would have understood that. That would have been a common theme for them, God communicating in dreams. Because their elders would have told them about it. And had Peter told them this story, he probably would have told them the story you read, except a little longer, the front and the back. You see, Peter was on a roof at the time of prayer, and he was quite hungry, and he fell to sleep. And while asleep, he got a vision from God. And the vision that you heard about came down out of heaven. But before all of that actually happened, something else happened. There was a man called Cornelius who wasn't there at that house, wasn't even in that town, who also had a vision from God. And in this vision, Cornelius heard from God and God said to him, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms for the poor. In other words, your righteous living has become like a prayer offering to God. And because of that, I have something new for you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to call together a couple of your men and send them to Joppa along the sea where there's a man named Peter. And he'll tell you what I have to send to you. Now, Cornelius was a really important guy. He was a centurion, which probably meant he was in charge of 100 Roman soldiers. So centurion Cornelius sends men to get Peter and Peter wakes up. And after he wakes up from the dream I just mentioned, he also hears from God that there's men downstairs. Just go down and greet them. So he does. And sure enough, there's at the door the men that Cornelius sent. And he said, hi, I'm Peter. Let's go. He was ready. So they went to Cornelius' house. When they arrived at Cornelius' house, you know what happened? Cornelius was outside waiting for them. And when he saw Peter, he fell face down in a position of worship or honor of a higher person than yourself. Now remember, Cornelius is pretty high on the totem pole in terms of the Roman Empire. And so he, in effect, is saying, Peter, you're greater than me. You're above me. And Peter, do you wonder what he thought? Okay, maybe he didn't think this, but maybe he did. Wow, we've come a long way, haven't we? (laughs) People are bowing down to us now. That's not what the text says. Peter just looked at Cornelius and said, get up. Don't stay down there like that. I'm a man just like you. Cornelius got up and the next part of the story is Peter goes into the house where Cornelius lives and the whole house is filled with people who had heard about this because Cornelius said, this man's coming to see us. And he walked into the room and he said, I want to tell you folks something. I shouldn't be here. Oh, what an introduction, huh? I shouldn't be here. 
Glad you're here, but I shouldn't be. No, he says, you know the facts. The facts are that Jews are not supposed to associate with Gentiles. We shouldn't be here talking like this. But yesterday, God showed me something I never had known before. He showed me and he told them about the dream of these animals coming down from heaven. All kinds of animals. Think barbecue, right? (laughs) Stuff you think is good for a Jewish person. That was not kosher. All these animals come down in a dream and the dream tells Peter something he thought he'd never hear from, from God. A voice from heaven says, get up, Peter, and eat. And Peter says, are you kidding me? I know the rules. I don't eat those things. The voice says, get up and eat. This happened three times. And finally, Peter gets the message. And the message is this. Do not call unclean, says God, what I call clean. Now, this is revolutionary. Not for us, but for him. He cannot believe that God is asking him to eat something that is unclean according to the Jewish ceremonial laws. And God says, there's a new day coming. And then Peter says, your friend here, Cornelius, he shows up. That's why I'm here, my friends. I'm technically not supposed to be. But God told me, The text didn't put it quite like this. But God told me, you're not unclean. God told me that the gospel I inherited is for you just as as much as it is for me. God told me that this, this message of salvation through Jesus is for everyone. And that's what I'm here for. And I want to invite you to experience it. Before it's all over... um, The text says that the Spirit came upon them and they spoke in other languages and then they were baptized. Wow, what a day. All in a day. That's the story. Um, What do you see in the story? I'll just give you some observations. The first thing I see in the story is this. God unfolds new revelation, not just in this particular episode, but multiple times, God unfolds new revelation and it's difficult for us to receive, but he's patient with us while we learn. See, the new revelation is, is revolutionary for Peter. He cannot believe it. God, in effect, is saying, Peter, there's a new day on the horizon. And the ceremonial laws that you thought were forever have been dissolved. And they've been dissolved for a purpose. They've been dissolved so that scales can fall off your eyes. And you can realize what I wanted to do all along which was redeem people from every tribe and every nation. And the way this is going to happen is through Jesus Christ. Peter must have been dumbfounded. But you know what? In a way, he shouldn't have been. 
Well, it's easy for me to say from this vantage point, but allow me to say it. He shouldn't have been. Because on the day of Pentecost, he stood up in front of thousands of people and spoke in tongues that he didn't know the gospel of Jesus Christ to people he didn't know, some of whom undoubtedly were foreigners of some sort, perhaps God-fearing Gentiles, though we don't know that for sure. What we do know is that Peter quoted the Old Testament and said, this is a new day. This day, God's spirit is being poured out on all flesh. It's not just the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah and the big dogs. This is for everybody, for your young men, your old men, your daughters, everyone. And furthermore, the purpose of all of this is so that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The purpose for all this is that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the Messiah, the Savior for the whole world. See, Peter said that on the day of Pentecost. But he didn't understand the depth of it until this day. Why isn't God patient with us? He might have slapped Peter around and said, what do you think Pentecost was for, Pete? (laughs) But he didn't. He just showed him what it was about with a new revelation. You know what else happened? If we take a look at this thing called the book of Acts chronologically, which it's hard to know exactly whether or not it's chronologically, but set up that way, we notice that something like that already happened. And we suspect that Peter had heard about it. A disciple called Philip encountered an Ethiopian eunuch. Unlikely he was a devout Jew. More likely he was a Gentile who had heard about the scroll of Isaiah, was reading it. And Philip gave him the explanation of the Messiah. And then Philip said, can you imagine this? Philip said, why don't we just stop the chariot? I see some water over there. Let's baptize you. Is that coloring outside the lines or what? I think it was. It was God speaking to Philip, the disciple, and saying, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone, even the Ethiopian eunuch. And Peter probably heard, but he didn't understand, not till he saw the sheet coming down out of heaven. Oh, by the way, Peter continues to need patience. Why? Because he should have gotten it by now. But on an occasion just very shortly after this in the book of Acts, he's gathered with Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And Paul happens to be there. And Peter goes over to the side of the Jewish believers and refuses to associate with the Gentile believers. And Paul, in effect, though I take words that are not in the text, says, Are you kidding me, Peter? You're the one who gave us the revelation of the sheet and the unclean animals. Are you serious? How can you do this? You cannot discriminate based on what you think are the people of God. The people of God are everywhere and the gospels for everyone. Get back over to this side of the room. (laughs) God gives us new revelations and he's remarkably patient as we learn. That's my first observation. And my first note of encouragement is this. He's doing that for you. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged when finally you understand something that you hadn't for, let's say, years. 
Don't be discouraged that finally your eyes have been opened and you realize what you'd done in the past was not really that proper. Don't be discouraged. Just follow the revelation that comes to you through Jesus Christ. Or like Peter, admit to people who are listening to you, I understand things differently than I once did and I'm going to change. Second observation from the text is this diversity in the church. It creates problems. It creates tensions. It did then and it always will. I've already mentioned Paul and Peter in the conflict over the way Peter behaved, even though he had this new revelation. Not long after that, in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are out proclaiming the gospel to all kinds of people, Gentiles in Rome. And this thing, to put it in 21st century terms, this thing's going viral. It's all over the place. And Paul and Barnabas come back and they say, you got to tell us what to do. People all over the Roman Empire, these Jewish people and mostly Gentile people are coming to the faith. What are we supposed to do with these Gentiles? The story of the Old Testament, though they didn't put it quite that way, is a story of lots of laws. What are we supposed to do? The council got together and I would imagine they studied the scriptures. I would imagine they prayed a lot and they were led by the spirit. They said it this way. It seems good to the spirit and to us to basically change the rules for the Gentiles. In other words, not to ask the Gentiles to assume all the ceremonial laws that we have understood to be a part of our tradition, our heritage, because things have changed. And so, among other things, they said, you don't have to do this and follow this law and this regulation, but make sure you don't eat food sacrificed to idols or eat animals that have been strangled. A couple of things like that. Apart from that, just enjoy the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Experience a new kind of freedom. It's a new era. Oh, why do I say that it creates tension? Because that wasn't the end of the revelation. All you have to do is take a look at 1 Corinthians to realize that by the time it got to Corinthians, Paul had said, this new revelation is opening doors I hadn't seen before. As a matter of fact, it doesn't make any difference whether or not you eat meat sacrificed to idols because idols are no gods at all. Eat whatever meat is in the marketplace in good faith because God is the sovereign over all things. Enjoy the bounty of the earth. Now, I don't know what the people back at Jerusalem thought when Paul made that declaration to those at Corinth. But I do know it was a new revelation. God was continuing to unfold the horizons of his grace for people who had not been a part of his grace. And it created tensions. You know what happens when God opens new perspectives for us? He opens horizons of grace for us. When God allows us new perspectives, we see God differently acting in Jesus Christ. 
when God gives us new perspectives, we see God at work in places we didn't see God at work heretofore. In particular, this is a very new and very old story. It's got multiple applications. This sheet coming down out of heaven. And it's happened over and over again in our lives. If um, you're not aware of it, of course, I guess you wouldn't be so much if you're not in their shoes. The people who experience the multiple applications of this truth, especially are those on the mission field who walk into strangely different cultures and figure out what the grace of God means in that world. And sometimes it's startling. Of course, you don't have to be a missionary and go overseas to see the remarkable ways that God's at work and the ways in which this truth, which is the unfolding revelation of God, ought to be applied. You you can see diversity all around you, right? And those who are Christ followers. I would say, just turn your head. This is a remarkably diverse place if you don't know it. You say, well, it doesn't look very diverse. Most people look pretty well-dressed and mostly white. Yeah, not everybody. It's the best thing I got. So I wore it this Sunday and I'm white. But that's not our church. Our church, even right here, is far more diverse than that. And the church universal is dramatically more diverse than that. And when diversity enters the body of Christ, you have problems. You have people who are in conflict. You know, this church, for the most part, was established on what you might call theological diversity. Theological categories is, well, it's an interesting thing. And and for the generation that most of you represent, it might not be as controversial as it was 30 or 40 years ago. One of the things I love to do in a membership class when people decide to join this church is to ask for a show of hands to represent where people came from. I mean, denominationally. And routinely, most of the major denominations are represented in that class. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, I could bet my bottom dollar on this, that every major denomination would be represented in this place. You would have come from that place at one time. This is a remarkably diverse group of people. Remarkably diverse theology. And if you haven't encountered it yet, if you're in community very long around here, it's likely that you will. You're going to encounter some people who have a a really significantly different view about the sovereignty of God. Some you may say, man, that guy, he believes in predestination in a way it almost seems fatalistic. And you think to that, person who's on the other side, they got this view of free will that's absolutely radical. Or you look at one and you say, why is 
that set of parents so emphatic about baptizing their children, where this set of parents wants to dedicate their child without water, or the list goes on and on. That's just the tip of the iceberg. There's lots of theological diversity here, and it creates conflict. But it's beautiful. Because it creates perspectives on grace that you wouldn't have on your own. Well, we don't have tribal diversity so much, do we? But if you lived in India and you were doing the gospel there or in Africa, you would have tribal diversity. And you have two different tribes, both of whom receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, trying to figure out how they're going to assimilate now. Because their entire tradition is to be at war with one another. And in this context... Well, you don't have that, but we have the racial diversity, the ethnic diversity, the socioeconomic diversity. We have cultural diversity. We got worship diversity. Um, Most of you go to the second service. That's why you're here. If you went to the first service, it's a different church. Um, They still call it ECC, but I'm telling you, it's a different place. They sing hymns, and for the most part, unless Marietta's on the piano, they don't clap. That's an inside joke. You have to be there to know. The point is, it's it's an entirely different worship experience. And most of those folks never experience this, and most of you never experience that. And by the grace of God, I get to experience both of them every Sunday morning. You know what it's like for me? It's like the language of heaven. Because there's people from every tribe and every nation and every expression musically and culturally who embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord. And I just thank God for it. You know, there's all kinds of diversity here too that makes you uncomfortable. There's political diversity. I don't need to say any more. You know, Tuesday's the election. You want to divide yourself up among... Yeah, you could. There's diversity as to how we uh, view the roles of women in ministry at this church. Creates tension. There's differences. There's diversity as it relates to who we are. What I mean is, some people just aren't comfortable here. I remember a number of years ago, um, been here 16 years now and, and gone through a few cycles. (laughs) Uh, One of the cycles we were going through was um, to find a a new youth pastor. That was before Rob, a long time back. And I contacted a person that I knew who was in this community who I thought would be um, a good candidate and told him about the position that was open and asked him whether or not he'd be willing to apply for the position. And he listened real carefully and then he looked at me and he said, you know, Bob, I think that place is just a little too cerebral for me. It is too cerebral for some people. But there's diversity here. Not everybody is academic. Not everybody's going to IU. And some of you going to IU, you're not even academic. We're a different lot around here. 
And it's a demonstration of the diversity in the body of Christ. So what's a way forward? Just a couple of comments about a way forward. As we walk with Jesus. First is this. If you want to be led by the Spirit, which the church has always been, it's a good thing to be in prayer. Notice how it happened for Peter? He was in prayer. He was in prayer and God revealed himself. So that's a good start. Second, if you want to be led by the Spirit that leads the church, you better be open to listening to others. Don't shut them off because they're different. Don't shut them off because they're annoying. Don't shut them off because they sound crazy. Listen to your brother and sister in Christ. If you want to be led by the Spirit to build the church, when you encounter people or ideas that are different than you, engage the idea and the people charitably, not accusatorily. It's really easy to go to the second and to accuse because, quite frankly, their position makes us feel uncomfortable. We're insecure. We're afraid. Listen charitably. Pray and be led by the Spirit. Fourth, or fifth, I guess it is. No, fourth. (laughs) Be open um, to what God will show you in a sign. I, um, I don't think signs died with Peter. It may come to you by way of a dream. Don't hear about that very much anymore, do you? It may come to you when you're fully aware in the middle of prayer. It may come to you when you're fully aware in the middle of a sermon. It may come to you when you're fully aware while you're walking by the way. Be open to whatever sign God uses to point you in a different direction because they're there. And finally, just rest in this reality with me, will you? It is Christ who leads his church. Not me or any other leader. This is the universal church of Jesus Christ. He's done a good job of preserving it and growing it. And he will continue to do so. Oh, by the way, back to Peter. At the end of the story, if Peter told this one to his grandkids, I think it's likely they might have said to him, Grandpa, what's that all mean? I'd like to believe that Peter would say, Well, I can tell you a few things. But beyond what I say, I want you to keep your heart open to what it might mean for you. If they were 10 years old, tomorrow, in school, it might mean something for them. If you're 20, Tomorrow in class, it might mean something for you. If you're going to work tomorrow, in a place that's just draining you of life, it might mean something for you.
Be open to the work of the Spirit. He's always active. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Um, We fully admit we don't have it figured out, but we embrace it as divine revelation. We know that on occasion when people give us a new idea concerning what you're doing in the world, it's troubling to us because we're comfortable with our way. But we pray that you will open the eyes of our hearts, as as Paul said, to understand the depth and the breadth and the wisdom and the height and the knowledge, uh, the immense expanse of the love of God for the people that you've created. We pray you'll also open our eyes and our hearts to the ways in which you're moving by the Spirit and your church around the world and to learn from those people who in qualitatively different circumstances have experienced your grace. And because they have, many times because of deep suffering, they can speak into our lives, but we'll never hear it unless we listen. And some of those people, though they're not far away, they're right next to us, and their life speaks into our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. So open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see and understand And then, Lord, help us to live in the new horizon of your grace. Whatever it is you've opened to us by your grace, may we live in it. May we walk in it. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen.